All right, thank you, Brother Mike, and again, thank you, church family, for being here on this Sunday evening uh, as we gather and uh, worship the Lord together here in this place. I want to see here, as we're getting started tonight, just how observant you are as a church family. So I'm going to ask a question, and I want to know if anybody knows. Now, I suppose I have a little bit of an advantage um, as to maybe why I pick up on these sorts of things. But how many of you, as you think back over the beginning of this service, can tell what the theme of our singing and of our praise and of our worship was? Very good. Very good. I'm not the only one. Virgil, you cheated because you probably saw the... He was the loudest. He probably saw the, 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 the sheet here. I have the advantage. Look at the sheet. Power of the cross, the choir started with. And then ring the bells of heaven. Well, we can't ring the bells of heaven if there's no cross. That might be a bit of a stretch there, but anyways... Then we sang at the cross. Then Brother Jim sang the way of the cross leads home. Then we sang beneath the cross of Jesus and then amazing grace. Did you catch that? And I love it. I think that's wonderful. I think to, you know, focus in on a a particular uh, theme is a good thing. And uh, I think that's a blessing. And I I don't know if they picked all of that out together, if the Lord just did that, but I like it. And uh, nothing better to sing about than the cross of Jesus. This morning we sang hallelujah for the cross. So we're on a roll today. And uh, there would be no reason for us to meet if there was no cross of Jesus. And so I'm certainly thankful for all of that. I, uh, I want to say to the choir and to our instrumentalists, I don't know that you ever sounded better. Uh, that was fantastic. I mean, just wonderful. Um, that song that you sang and the instruments, all of it was just such a blessing. And so thank you, uh, Music Ministry, for all your hard work and all of your effort. As we get started tonight, I'm going to need your help with something. And what I'd like for you to do is take out your cell phone. Would you do that? Everybody's got their cell phone. Take that out if you would. All right? You don't have to wave it at me, just, you know, just, just so you can see it, all right? And I want you to turn the thing off. Now, why would I say a thing like that? Because I'm going to preach for about three hours tonight, and I just want you to buckle in, and you should be laughing a little harder than that. Some of you are taking me seriously here tonight. I know, there's a ball game. And somebody asked me, what time does the ball game start? And I said, it starts whenever you want it to start because we have these things called DVRs. They're amazing. You can record the thing and go home and watch it at your own leisure, you know. And, and, uh, and so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. You're excited. I think we're all excited. We, we like to see our teams do well. Um, we have teams that do well. We have one that never does, but we, <laughs> we have some that do, and, uh, and that's a good thing. And so we're, uh, we're, we're grateful, uh, grateful for that. Let me just share with you, this was a blessing to me. William Anderson, William came today for the very first time. His wife has been coming and his children have been coming pretty faithfully the last couple of months, but he came today the first time, and after the service, I got a chance to lead him to Christ. And uh, what a blessing that is to my heart. He came and his wife introduced him to me and had an opportunity to ask him if he'd ever trusted Christ as his Savior and uh, what a privilege it was for me to take him back into my office and uh, share the gospel with him. And so I wanted to share that with our church family. That took place after the service was over, uh, but I know that'll rejoice um, your heart. And uh, that really is what it's all about, and that's what we are going to preach on tonight. Now, uh, how many of you did not receive a copy of this little five and a half by eight and a half sheet of paper? If you did not, would you raise your hand? We've got some men in different places. Just put your hand up real high until somebody gets to you. I'd like for everyone here tonight that it can read and that sort of thing to have a copy of this. So just keep your hands up real high in the air, if you would, and make sure that folks can get to you and folks that can see you. We've got folks up in the balcony and uh, here maybe on the, on the main aisle. Very good. Just keep your hands up in the air long enough. Again, I'd like for everyone to see it. We've got some guys, folks over here if you can. And uh, just, again, keep your hands up in the air. 
and we'll get them, we'll get them to you here uh, very quickly. You should have received one as you were coming in, but that doesn't always happen. And so again, I'd like for, like for everyone to have a copy of this. I'd like for you just to kind of tuck it in your Bible. We're going to get to it in a minute. This is going to be our invitation tonight. And uh, hopefully it all makes sense here in just a few moments. Uh, but, uh, but again, I want you to hold on to it, uh, if you would. Uh, who didn't get one? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. Uh, Miss Holly, did you not get one? You look like you need one back there. Did you get one? All right, very good. All right, awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? We got folks that need one that didn't get one yet? All right. We got to train these guys a little bit better, I think. You know, they got to be a little bit more aggressive at it. So, All right, anybody else did not get one? That's true. You got to raise your hand a little bit better, some of you too, right? All right, very good. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter number one tonight, please. John chapter number one. And um, I want to uh, preach a message tonight that, uh, that you'll find, of course, the title to on this little sheet of paper that you received a moment ago. The title of the message is Lost and Found. Lost and Found. John chapter number one tonight is where we'll find our text. And uh, I would like for you, if you would, to look with me. And we'll begin reading in verse number 35. John chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 35. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may want to mark the phrase found in verse number 41 where it says about Andrew that he first findeth his own brother Simon. And of course, a little later in the verse, he says, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So I said a moment ago, the title of the message tonight is Lost and Found. Sunday, October the 30th, is a day that we as a church family are referring to as Friend Day. And this is not a new concept to our church congregation. It's something that we've done before. On several times we've done it. I think we might have even done it a little bit earlier this year. And the goal for a day like this is for everyone to try to find someone, to find someone that they can bring along with them to church, to God's house on that particular Sunday. Now, my commitment to you on that particular day is to be ready, uh, to be ready to give a clear presentation of the gospel, as clear of a presentation of the gospel as I possibly can. In other words, you should know that by inviting a friend to come on that day, they're not going to come and hear a message on giving. 
Lord, Lord forbid, right, that they would come on friend day and someone would stand and tell, now, now giving's important and giving is a Bible, a, a Bible truth, no doubt about it. But we're not gonna preach on giving. Uh, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna preach a, a, a message on, you know, uh, uh, you know, modesty. We're not gonna talk about some of the, maybe the hot button issues of this particular day. No, listen, what a, what a shame it would be to, for us to invite lost family members and lost friends and neighbors and coworkers and get them in this room and for us to do anything but to give them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So I promise you, I make a commitment to you on that particular day. As, as we honestly, we, we try to do this in all of our message to, to the best of our ability, is to present the gospel because we just never know. We never know who's sitting in this building, who doesn't know Christ, who needs Jesus Christ as their personal savior. But on that particular day, we'll, give a, we'll make it a concentrated effort to give a gospel presentation. And, um, and, and so think about, think about this. We, we, we each do our part, right? Our part is this, you, you and I, we go out and we invite someone that we are burdened for, someone that we feel might be uh, without Christ. Um, you know, we can never see someone's heart, but we, we certainly can, can look at a life and, and we can make some determinations. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord as to who is saved and who is not saved. He knows, we don't, uh, but, but we have a responsibility to invite them, to bring them in, and then I have a responsibility. My part is to be ready to preach a gospel message, we prayed up that the Holy Spirit of God would use it, and then at that point, listen, you and I can, can comfortably leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit of God. But you do have a part to play. We all have a part to play. Now, we cannot, uh, we, we cannot save people. We cannot force people to be saved. Um, you and I have, have, no, have no responsibility as far as that is concerned at all. We do have a responsibility, however, to get our loved ones under the sound, under the preaching, under the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you do your part, and I do my part. And that is we invite folks, and we bring folks with us. And then as your pastor, I'll do my part, and that is preach the gospel. And we know this. We know the Holy Spirit of God will do his part. What is his part? Well, he is sent by, by the Son of God to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. According to John chapter number 16 and verse number 8, that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. And I can tell you that, that if, we can get, if, we can get our, if we can get our loved ones, if we can get our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers into this building, uh, there's no telling, there's no telling what the Holy Spirit of God can do if we'll just do what we've been called to do. Now, the gospel can be spread in many ways. I'm thinking to myself that throughout history, the gospel has been advanced through printed literature, uh, through large citywide evangelistic campaigns. We think of years gone by and we're reminded of uh, men like uh, Billy Sunday and men like uh, Billy Graham and D.L. Moody who would come into a town and, and, and there's the hand of God was on them and they would preach to hundreds of thousands of people by the time it was all said and done and many, many people were converted and churches were started and lives were changed and the gospel was spread that way. Uh, the gospel has been advanced through door-to-door -door soul winning. People just going to somebody's door and, you know, knocking on the door, introducing themselves, giving them a gospel track, or maybe even just leaving it at their front door, and that person got a hold of that literature, they read it, and the Holy Spirit of God worked in their heart, 
and they were saved, gloriously saved. The gospel has been advanced through television. Um, there's probably not a person in here that at some time or another has not watched some form of religious programming. Uh, maybe it was a, a message that was being preached, and, uh, and it was a, a program that was professionally presented. The gospel has been advanced through the use of radio. Um, now we're living in a day and age with uh, the internet and the world wide web. The gospel's being advanced through the use of YouTube, and there are preachers that have many thousands of followers who listen to them regularly and, and people who maybe even just stumble upon them as they're searching for, for truth and searching for hope. And today there's a, a, new, a new medium that advances the gospel, something known as podcast. Some of you may not be familiar with that. Some of you, you may be very familiar with that. I'm thinking about even vacation Bible schools have been used to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to I say tonight that I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the most effective and fruitful way for us to spread the gospel, more, listen, more valuable than if you were to come to me tonight and you say, Pastor Pete, I want to invest $100,000 in Cleveland Baptist Church's multimedia industry, or multimedia ministry, I should say, and I'd like to, uh, I'd like to buy us a year on national television. Now, $100,000 is probably not going to do it. You know, so maybe, maybe if we're going to show up at like two in the morning, you know, when people uh, can't sleep, and then I, I will put them to sleep, I promise you that. Um, but but I, I'm just simply saying, listen, I believe, I believe that more valuable, more valuable than someone giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to, uh, to, to, uh, to get us on some national program or some national audience, the most, the most effective way, the most fruitful way to spread the gospel is to go personally to those that we already have relationships with and to share Jesus Christ with them. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That that to me is the most effective way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build churches and to, and to advance the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Can I say that while though this is the most effective, it also seems to me to be the most difficult. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Why, why is it? Why is it that that we, we, can have a, we can have a few weeks leading up to an Easter Sunday and we're gonna go canvas a neighborhood and we're gonna go into a neighborhood and we're gonna pass out literature and maybe even knock on doors and we can fill up a bus or two and yet, and yet those same people, those same people don't even go to their own neighborhood. Don't even go to their own neighbors. They go to random strangers on a street but they, but they hesitate to go to their coworkers, to their family members to their friends and to the neighbors who live all around this. Listen, all of us struggle in this area. Did you know that Jesus himself admitted that the hardest people to give the gospel to are those that we're closest with? The hardest people. In Matthew 13, in verse number 57, Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. You know what he's saying there? He's saying the only place that a prophet doesn't have honor is with his own family. Is with his own relatives. It's in his own house. Jesus, Jesus said that. We know, therefore, we know it must be true. He would say the same thing in Mark 6, 4. Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm here to tell you, that you and I must push through any anxieties and hesitations that we have in order to give our loved ones an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved uh, to, to, uh, because, listen, we're going to stand before Christ someday and we will give an account in that day as to why we did not. We have a responsibility. In John 1, we find Christ 
establishing or bursting on the scene to establish his earthly ministry. And we see in this text his earliest followers joining along with him as disciples or learners. And I believe that we discover in our text some helpful principles that direct us in our calling to preach the gospel to every creature so that the lost can be found before it's eternally too late. Let me share with you, I think, four truths that I find in this particular text that I think are helpful to us if we're going to be effective in seeking uh, the lost and seeing that they're found by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I say, number one, that we learn from the life of Andrew that finders must first be followers. Finders must first be followers. Now, 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 now stay with me here. Look in verse number 40. The Bible says, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him, not John, but followed Jesus. One of the two was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And notice, notice that as a result or the outflow of him following Jesus, we find in verse number 41, is that led to him first finding his own brother, Simon. Now, Andrew, according to our text, was a disciple of John the Baptist. I'm talking about originally, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. We know that because we read of that in verse 35. The Bible says, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So there's a transition that's happening here. Prior to Jesus coming and John saying, hey, behold, the Lamb of God, Andrew is a follower not of Jesus, he's a follower of John the Baptist. He may not even at this point know who Jesus is. Maybe he's never heard of him. Uh, maybe he's looking ahead and he's thinking, yeah, the Messiah is going to come, but we don't know when he's going to come or when he's going to be born. Or maybe, maybe word of Jesus' unusual birth had spread long enough in which people were looking at him saying, you know, this guy, he just might be the Messiah, but we don't know for sure. But, but here's what we do know. We know that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist first, initially. But John the Baptist, listen, he, uh, he, was in, he, was, he was in no, uh, uh, he had no idea or no thoughts of, uh, of maintaining his own following. John the Baptist did not exist for that reason. John was not trying to build his own kingdom. He knew all along his role and his calling. In fact, we're given his role and calling in verse number 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You're saying, he's saying, listen, I'm not the voice of hundreds or the voice of thousands. I'm the voice of one. I never set out to have followers and to have some movement that was following me. I'm just, here's what I'm here to do. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So, so John knew all along that, that his, his, uh, his calling and, 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 and his role was, uh, was, was not to build some movement or some kingdom. His calling, his, his role was to point other people to Jesus Christ, to prepare the way of the Lord. So when Jesus began his earthly ministry, again, John had no desire to hoard or to hold on to the followers that, that had been following him, that he had baptized. In fact, he actively jumped at the chance to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. All throughout John chapter number one, we see John the Baptist doing that. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 25. 
Verse 25, and they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me, is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. So what is he doing? Uh, There he is right there. He's telling people, listen, this is not about me. I'm, I'm I'm not anything great enough myself. He said, listen, I baptize because God has given me that authority. But he said, there's someone coming after me who is so much greater than me. He is preferred before me. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 29 of John chapter number one. The next day, so here we go, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So with John so enthusiastically proclaiming Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah or deliverer who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, his wor- of the world, it is, it is not at all surprising that his followers began to look at this Messiah, look at the Savior, and they're saying, well, well if, you're, if, you're, if he's greater than you, and if you're not even worthy to, to unlatch his shoe, well, then what are we doing following you when we could be following him instead? In other words, why follow the one preparing the way when you can follow the way itself instead? I mean, that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? These guys are, are, are not dummies. They're smart. They've got a good head on their shoulders. And they understand, listen, John, it was great while it lasted, and you taught us a lot, and we saw you do some great things. But if what you're saying is true, that's the Messiah, that's the Savior, that's the Son of God, the one that we've been waiting for who takes away the sin of the whole world, John, it was, it was great knowing you, but we're going to follow him instead. And Andrew was one of them. He was one of them who heard John proclaim Jesus to be the Lamb of God. And so he said, well, if that's the case, well, I'm going to fo- start following this one instead. When he was certain that Jesus was who he claimed to be and who John said that he was, he then was eager to find others and let them know what he had discovered to be true about the Savior. Here's what I'm saying. Because Andrew was so impacted by Christ and his ministry, it was only natural that he would, uh, he would want others to be similarly impacted. So why, why is it that we struggle so much to find others or to drag our feet when it comes to finding others who need Christ and to bring them to him. I propose to you tonight that it could be. It could be that we aren't following him the way that we should. Now would you look again in this text and notice some things that take place. The two disciples heard him speak, verse 37, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? He said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now listen, I have no idea what took place in that home. To be very honest with you, I don't even know what home Jesus took them to. Is it possible he took them to his his childhood home? I suppose that's possible. The Bible tells us that the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have dens, but the Son of Man doesn't have where to lay his head. I don't know where he took them to. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't suppose. Maybe it's really all that important. It's, it's a curious thing for me. Where did Jesus take them to? And what happened when they got there? I don't know. I don't know. But I want to say this. It was life-changing in the life of, 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 of Andrew. He was never the same after this. 
I mean, he was committed, he was devoted, and he was, uh, he was intentional about going and reaching others. Why? Because he had discovered something in Jesus that had changed his life. And can I say that the natural outflow of Adam's time with Jesus was a growing or a deepening burden to introduce others to him. And don't miss that. When you spend enough time with Jesus, you spend enough time with the Savior, and I believe you'll find the same thing to be true. You spend enough time with him, and here's what will happen. There will begin to grow and develop in you a burden, a longing to tell others about him. You know, I, I spend time with folks as a pastor. I spend time with folks in all different seasons of life. There's two seasons I really love. I, I love the seasons of, of those who are newlyweds, recently married. I just think that's such a neat thing. And then I love the season of um, those who have just had their first child. It doesn't even have to be their first child. I mean, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, however many they, the Lord blesses them with. And there's just something about it, isn't there? There's just a glow on the face. And uh, I, I, was some, I was somewhere recently, I don't remember exactly, I think maybe it was at dinner with somebody the other day as I was traveling, and we got to talking, and I didn't know him and really all that well, he didn't know me, and uh, we got to begin talking about our families, and it wasn't long before he whipped his, his cell phone out, and he's pulling up pictures to show me pictures of his family. Well, that's, that's only natural. You get a man who loves his wife and he loves his children and he's proud of his beautiful family that God has blessed him with. And uh, boy, he just wants to talk about him, doesn't he? He just wants to tell you about how much of a blessing they are. You have a newly married uh, husband or a newly married wife and, and I mean, there's just beaming, there's just a smile on their face, there's joy in their heart, there's a spring in their step and they just can't wait to tell you how awesome it is to be married. You got a new parent? Just come home from the hospital with a little bundle of joy. They walk in that house and they, uh, you know, they, they begin to make some adjustments in their life, welcoming this child. And, and boy, they go off to work and, and they're telling everybody, hey, you want to see a picture of my new baby? You want to see a picture of my little boy? You want to see a picture of my little girl? Uh, here's what we named her. Here's how much she weighed. And, and about the only time you're going to tell somebody what your daughter weighed, right, in life. Uh, here's, here's how long she was. Here's when she was born. And, you know, here's how she's sleeping at night. And we just can't wait. We can't wait to tell people about how we've been blessed. That's only natural. It'd be, it'd be unnatural for someone to experience one of those life stages and for you to have to sort of pry that out of them. Hey, didn't you get married? Yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. Didn't you have a baby? Well, sort of. I mean, how do you sort of have a baby, you know? Nobody, nobody's, nobody's like that. No, there's joy and there's passion and there's, there's a desire. Why? Because, because, listen, those things are life-changing in an individual, aren't they? Listen, if, if a new baby changes your life and a spouse changes your life and maybe a new job or a new car or a new house changes your life, how much more does Jesus change your life? And when you begin to follow him and you begin to look at him and you keep your eyes on him day after day and you talk to him and he talks back to you through the person of the Holy Spirit and through his word of God and when he begins to answer your prayers and he gives you a peace that passes all understanding and, I, and he, just, he just sets your soul free from anxiety and from guilt and, and, and from, a, uh, from a conscience that is seared because of things that you've done and all of a sudden now you're breathing free and you have hope for a brighter future someday the natural outflow of that should be a growing and a deepening desire or burden to introduce others to him. Say, listen, I want to tell you what I've discovered in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you know as well as I do that 
the longer people are married, sometimes that, that sort of wears off a little bit. It shouldn't, but sometimes it does. Sometimes maybe that smile fades just a little bit. It's not that they don't love their spouse. It's just the, you know, the newness of it. Is, is, it's become a little bit more familiar. Maybe it's lost a little bit of that special element. Well, if that's true, and if that's true in the marriage relationship, and maybe it can even be true a little bit as it relates to our children, we're always going to love our children, but maybe sometimes we, you know, we, we, um, you know, we kind of butt heads with one another, and maybe there's just a rebellious streak that we're working through, or there's some issue that we're contending with, and, and so maybe we're not quite as eager to run around and talk about them all the time. Do you, do you not suppose, do you not suppose the longer that we are saved, the more familiar we become with, with, with Jesus and with our faith and, and, and with these things, they become almost second nature to us and we sort of begin to lose the passion for introducing others to him. That, that, that's, that's, that's not an unusual thing. In fact, if we're all honest with ourselves tonight, probably everyone would have to admit in this room, yeah, that's happened to me. I've allowed, I've allowed the Bible, I've allowed the Holy Spirit's work in my life, I've allowed Jesus and the gospel and all of these things, I've allowed these things to sort of lose some of, the, some of the wonder and some of the awe that they once had. And as a result, I'm, 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 not, I'm just not as passionate to tell other people about Jesus. If you're going to, listen, if you're going to be a finder, if you're going to find others, you're going to bring them to Jesus, you must first be a follower. With him every day. In this book every day. Striving to know him more and to love him more. I, again, I don't know what happened to that house. But I want to say this, listen, if you're going to be the believer that God would have you to be, and if you're going to be the finder that God wants you to be, Christ is going to have to come to your house, and he's going to have to reveal himself to you. You have to get to know him in a very personal way, a very intimate way, a very close way. So finders, we discover, must first be followers. But notice, secondly, we discover that finders prioritize who needs to be found. Now, this might sound a little controversial, but bear with me for a moment. In verse 41, what does the Bible tell us? He first findeth his own brother Simon. So, so it seems to be that the scriptures seem to indicate that there's a priority that Andrew places on reaching his, his own brother first. That, that first word is, is really key. It speaks of a priority or, or prioritizing. So after finding Jesus himself and following Jesus, Andrew has a growing desire to introduce others to him as John had done for him. And, and, and no doubt Andrew uh, knew probably many who needed to meet Jesus, but he, of course, was only one person and could only do so much. So maybe he's sitting around and saying, where do I begin? Where do, where do I begin? I, I mean, likely, likely you have rubbed shoulders with, you have known, you have acquaintances with hundreds of people. Maybe more than what Andrew had in, in his day and age. Our lives are so much more interconnected than they were back in those days. Uh, there were no, you know, there, there probably were not the traditional schools like you and I think of. And, and there were, certainly wasn't social media. And there certainly wasn't text messaging. And, and uh, he was a fisherman. Probably he and his brother spent, you know, time alone together out on the boat. And so he probably wasn't working with a bunch of co-workers. And so he probably didn't quite have the same amount of folks to, to, to go to as you would have. But I'm sure he had others that he could have gone to. But Andrew's first priority, according to our text, was to go to his own family. Now, we don't know if he was married or if he had children. The Bible doesn't tell us those things. 
We don't know if his mom and dad were still alive. The Bible doesn't tell us those things. But we do know this. We know that he had a brother, and we know that he went to his brother first, seeking an opportunity to introduce that brother to Jesus Christ. There's a priority that is placed by Andrew saying, I've got to get to Simon as fast as I possibly can. I cannot let any grass grow under my feet. I'm not going to tell anybody else about Jesus until I get to Simon first. There's priority there. Can I say that these two were more than just brothers? Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16 reveals that they were business partners as well. They were involved in the fishing industry. They go out on the Sea of Galilee and they would fish all night long and then they take their catch to the market and sell it and probably try to grab a little bit of sleep and then go out the next night and do it all over again. And, and I'm, just, I'm just assuming, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us this, but I'm just assuming that the fact that he, they were brothers and the fact that they were business partners and the fact that we, we, we're, we're not told that Andrew has a wife or that he has children, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that perhaps Simon is the closest individual in all of the world to Andrew, his brother they work together so they're seeing each other 10 12 hours a night at least they're on the same boat together i mean i'm thinking there's lots of conversations they're probably talking about and dreaming of the future and sharing maybe some uh, some thoughts and, and feelings with one another and how they're you know how they're processing things and what they're thinking and perhaps maybe all along andrew's been talking to peter about john the baptist and the things that he's preaching and the things that he's teaching and and, and when it comes time when it comes time to figure out who am i going to introduce to jesus the bible says that he first findeth his own brother Who's close to you that you are uncertain about their faith? In other words, do you have a family member you live with? A family member you're close to? Maybe you don't live with them, but you're close to them. A coworker, a close friend, a neighbor that you do not know what their spiritual condition is? Or perhaps maybe, maybe you, you, you no, no, because we can't look at the heart. We can't possibly for sure know. But if someone were to come and ask you, hey, is your dad saved? You'd have to say, you know, I, I, I can't see his heart, but I sure don't think so. Is your boss saved? Well, I, you know, it's, I guess it's hard to say, you know. But I don't think so. He doesn't live like he is. The way he lives, the way she lives, the way they talk, the things that they do, uh, the way they, you know, all of these things seem to indicate the fact that they're not saved. And here's what I want to say. You need to begin right there. That, that's where you start. That's what Andrew did. He prioritized those that were closest to him, and he went to them. What I'm saying is what a shame it would be to go door knocking to strangers, but never or rarely go to our own family or those closest to us. What a shame it would be, let think about this, to pick up a bus rider in an inner city neighborhood and yet never bring anyone from our own neighborhood. To me, that seems like a strange thing, doesn't it? That, that, we, would, that we would get in our cars and that we would drive to a neighborhood that we, we've never lived in, in which we don't know a whole lot about that neighborhood, and we'd knock on doors and we'd be passionate about reaching the people there, and yet the whole time, 20, 30, 40 years, we live in our neighborhood and we never knock on a door there. Doesn't that seem a little backwards? Doesn't that seem a little bizarre? For me to get up on Saturday and to come into church and to participate in a super Saturday and to carry tracks and to knock on doors and yet, and yet to work in the same place week after week after week and to never talk about my faith and never give a track out there, that seems a little strange, doesn't it? So what I'm saying is, listen, if we're going to be finders, then we have to prioritize who needs to be found. 
I'm not saying to drop what you're doing. I'm not saying that the outflow of this message ought to be, well, I guess I should give up my bus route then. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not at all saying, I, I think you understand my heart. I'm not at all saying that you should say, well, that'll be the last Super Saturday I ever attend. That'd be a silly thing to take something like that from that. I'm just trying to show you how strange it is that we would go to strangers that we've never met before, and yet we would never go to people that we rub shoulders with every single day. What I'm saying is not to give up one for the other. I'm saying let's do both. But let's make sure, let's make sure that our family has an opportunity to meet Jesus, that our coworkers have an opportunity to meet Jesus, that our neighbors have an opportunity to meet Jesus. You can and you should do both. But those that you have already a relationship with, I would think would receive first priority. Who is closest to you that doesn't know Christ? Right there, right there. Whoever that, whoever that name pops up in your mind, that face that you see that pops up in your mind, that's where you should start. That's where you should begin. Number three, finders must be able to communicate the gospel message to lost people. Would you look in verse number 41? He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Notice, if, if, the, if the key word for the, the second point there of prioritizing is first, he first findeth, then the key word for this particular thought that we come to in the message is, is this word, and saith unto him. Saith unto him. At some point, listen, at some point, we have to, we have to arrive here. And we have to open up our mouth, and we have to tell them who Jesus is. We have to. We have to. I'm all, listen, I'm all for leaving tracks on somebody's doorstep. I, um, I, I would caution you as a church family. I, you know, we, we live in a strange day and age. Every once in a while, we'll get a phone call from some business. You know, your, your, your people left some tracks here. And you know what I want to say? You know what I want to say? You don't know what I want to say. You don't want to know what I want to say. You know what I want to say? I want to say, listen, just throw them away then. If it's that big of a deal, just throw them away. Because I appreciate, I mean, honestly, I appreciate our people who are, you know, trying to, trying to give the gospel any way that they can. And why it's such a big deal that somebody left, you know, a handful of tracks here in, you know, aisle number three at Walmart. I mean, well, just throw them away. If it's that big of a deal, just take them and pitch them. But they got to call us and they got to raise a stink. And if you keep doing this, we're going to call the police. And I want to say, no, you don't want to know that either. Go ahead and call the police as if the police don't have something better to do than get after a church that somebody's leaving some tracks behind somewhere. I, you know, listen, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the heart and the spirit to do things like that. But at some point, listen, at some point, we have to, we have to get a little boldness about us. And we gotta, we gotta you know, be, quit being these secret missionaries. I mean, I, I've heard, I mean, I, I don't want to be crude, but I've heard of people going into a bathroom and rolling in the toilet paper roll, rolling tracks up in the toilet paper roll, literally. I'm not kidding. I've heard of stories like this. Now, somebody say, man, that's a really creative thing to do. It's a really bizarre thing to do is what it is. But, but, but honestly, at some point, we've got we to leave, leave that stuff behind and we've got to pull a track out of our pocket and we've got to go to somebody, we've got to give it to them. Here you go. Can I give this to you? Can I tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ? At some point, finders must be able to communicate the gospel message to lost people. 
Again, I, I, as I said, I'm all for leaving tracks at somebody's door. Not at aisle three at Walmart, but at somebody's door, I'm, I'm okay with that. Don't leave them in mailboxes. Please do not leave them in mailboxes. But can I say, I believe it is a much more effective thing for us to do would be to open up our mouths personally and speak the truth of the gospel. To go to someone and to look them in the eye and to tell them, hey, listen, this, this track, this, this brochure will tell, you, will tell you who Jesus is. And it'll tell you how he can change your life. Can I say that in order, to, in order to communicate the gospel message to lost people, I believe there's two elements. And I, and I think that they, they both can be really found here, a case can be made they're found here. Number one is this, tell others, you and I must be able to tell others what Christ has done for us. We must be able to tell others what Christ has done for us. So some of you are sitting here saying, I wouldn't have the first clue about how to win somebody to Christ. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But could you not? Could you not walk up to them and say, hey, listen, once, once I was a sinner, and somebody, somebody shared this truth with me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he suffered and, and bled and died in my place, and that he had no sin, and so he became my sacrifice, and all I had to do was believe on him, and I did, and Christ changed my life. Don't you suppose that any of us could do that? Of course we could. Of course we could give our, give our own testimony. Well, look what Andrew did. He, says, he, he goes to Simon. He says, we have found the Messiah. He's saying, listen, I've, I've been searching, and I have found the Messiah, the one uh, who has been pr- promised to come. And, and, I, and I imagine, no doubt, Andrew probably went into more detail than the Scripture allows us to know here. The Bible tells us that they had gone to Christ's abode and that they'd spent the day with him in John 139. Don't you suppose a day spent with Jesus might generate some conversations? Don't you suppose it might generate some stories to tell? And I'm just simply saying, if you're going to communicate the gospel to someone in hopes of helping them find Jesus, start here. Start with how you found Christ and speak of the change that he has made in you. We sing that song, there's been a great change since I've been born again. That's sort of a children's song, maybe a bus song. It's lively, it's fun, it's peppy, and it, I think it includes clapping hands and that sort of thing, so we don't probably do it a whole lot in here. Maybe we should, maybe we should. But I'm just simply saying, listen, has, has there been a great change in you since you've been born again? Amen. If there has, if there has, don't you suppose that you should go to others and tell them about it? Don't you suppose that maybe the change would be so vast that they might even come to you and ask questions about it? And I remember you used to, do this with us, and you used to do that, and you used to talk like this, and you used to dress like this, and you used to, you know, and now all of a sudden, every Sunday you're at church, and you know, you dress differently, and you talk differently, and you, you know, you prioritize your time differently. What happened to you? Wouldn't that be a great opportunity for you to tell them what Jesus happened to me? I met Jesus. I found the Messiah, the one which is interpreted the Christ. I found Jesus. All of us can do that. If you're saved, you can do that. You certainly can do that. But notice, notice, secondly, I think if we're going to communicate the gospel message to lost people, not only should tell them what Christ has done for us, but tell others also, we should be able to tell others what the Bible says. We should be able to tell people what the Bible says. Now, this makes people a little nervous. Some of you are sitting here saying, ah, I don't know. I didn't go to Bible college for four years. Ah, I don't know that I could do that. Can I, can I just be real honest with you? You don't have to go to Bible college for four years to learn how to tell people what the Bible says. The, the, the truth of the matter is that, that these people that Jesus, that Jesus called, many of them were not involved in full-time Christian work, at least not at the, at the beginning. I mean, Andrew was a fisherman. And yet, what is he doing? He's walking around, and he's finding people and bringing them to Jesus. 
And, and, and did you notice that, what it says there in verse number 41? We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Him talking this way indicates that he knows what the Old Testament teaches. And I'm assuming that perhaps he shed a little bit more light on it than, again, what John includes for us here in the text. I, I get it. It's a big book. It can be easy to get lost in this book, but can, can, we, not, can we not put a little work and effort into it? Could, could, you maybe, could you maybe not grab one of these on your way out the door and go to where all the scriptures are that are found in here and maybe highlight them in your own Bible? Or underline them. Or perhaps maybe make a little, little three-by-five card in the flyleaf of your Bible and maybe tape it there and write, write out there the plan of salvation, at least the text and the verses that you should go to, maybe the main ideas. And could you not, could you not do that? So that you could at some point, so that you could come at some point, sit down with someone who needs, who's lost and needs to be found and just say, hey, can I show you from God's word what the Bible says? Do we really, do we, do we really care the Bible says that the new birth comes about in the life of an individual because they are exposed to the book. That's what the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In 1 Peter 1, 23, the Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know what I find? I find that many are familiar with their favorite song lyrics. I mean, they can sing a song that they learned back in the 60s comes on the radio or they're in a store somewhere, they're in a ball game and they start playing that song, I mean, know every word to the song. Now, I know people that can, re- that can recite and quote movie lyrics from their favorite movies. You sit and watch a movie with them and at some point you're like, why don't we just mute the thing and why don't you just talk us through this and give us the script, right? Okay, he's gonna say this here, you know, and then say it the way that they say it. I know, I know some people, they know all the statistics from their particular favorite sport or their favorite athlete. I suppose if we can learn those things, don't you think that we can work a little harder to be familiar with what our Bible says so that we can use it in a capable way? To use, to use that brain instead of memorizing song lyrics and movie lines and statistics, instead to use that brain to figure out what does the Bible say so that we can use it and share it with others. Finally, number four tonight, and we'll finish with this, finders, finders bring lost people to Jesus. Look in verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, Andrew came to the conclusion, the best thing that I can do for you, Simon, is to bring you to Jesus. And you can just see for yourself. You make a decision at that point, but that's the best thing that I can do for you. While you and I can't do this the exact same way Andrew did, I'm speaking of, you know, take our loved one by the hand and walk them up to the, very son of God in the flesh and say, there he is, there's Jesus. We, 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 we don't have that opportunity today. We'll, we'll have that opportunity someday to see him. But we ought to, listen, we ought to bring people to Jesus by communicating the gospel and inviting them and urging them, if we must, to believe on him. This is really what Friend Day is all about. What we're trying to do is we're trying to give our church family an opportunity to bring others to Jesus. Not, not random strangers or coincidental interactions that we've had throughout life, but people that we're close to. Friends, that, that's, the, that's the term, they're friend day. You, 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 can, you, you can get a family member if you, if you must, but find someone who needs Jesus and bring them to Jesus. 